How important is mindset specifically to your work? It's, I think you can be exactly who you want to be, all from reading all those books and learning. A book is 10, 20, 30, even 50 years of experience that someone's condensed down into 300 pages. I really believe you can train yourself, you can learn to you can learn to grow in any area. So mindset is everything. You believe that there's no clients on LinkedIn. Um, it's not a great place to be. You'll get exactly what you expect. If they don't have the belief they can get there in the first place, they're finished before they even start. Let me guess, you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business online. And you've probably tried everything to grow your business, including social media, SEO, even paid ads, only to find out that nothing truly works. So what if I told you that writing a book that goes on to become a bestseller is the magic wand? It's been my dream to empower others through the craft of writing and storytelling. And throughout my life, I came across several mentors who pushed me toward my passion for writing books and helping others to do the same. There is no greater joy than to be working with aspiring authors and to help them establish true credibility within their industry by writing and publishing their first book. Now, you're seeing this video because I just opened enrollment for my new book writing program, where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Gav Gillibrand. You are an online fitness and nutrition coach who graduated with a degree in sports and exercise science. You help busy people lose 20 pounds or more in 12 weeks or less without cutting carbs and other fun stuff from their lives. I'm looking forward to learning about your techniques, Gav, and really a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to American Real. No, so it's my pleasure with mine. I'm glad to be here, glad to be invited on. I've been following your stuff for a while. Uh, I'm excited to be here, so thank you. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And that's a great way to start because we met through LinkedIn, which is this amazing new platform that I think uh, I know I and, and many others, including yourself, are very active. And I would just love to get your quick take on LinkedIn. And, and really, when you started to uh, amplify your voice, I loved your post from this morning, put your fork down. That was priceless. Uh, tell us about your experience on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be honest, LinkedIn's been a complete game changer for me in terms of business. But I actually joined LinkedIn in 2010, but didn't even know it was a platform that you could do anything with it. Like, and I look back, it's only been the last two and a half to three years. And really in the last year and a half, I got what I would call serious on LinkedIn. Um, so from 2010 to at least 2017 it sat there and I, I kept adding people but never I never I didn't even know you could post I literally did not know you could post I'm in the same boat Gav I, exact same boat I, 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 I never posted anything for 10 years 
I'd never looked through, I'd never looked at a profile, never commented. All I did is just added people. And here's the weird thing. I had 2000 connections all in my business. Well, when you think about it, that's actually very, very bad business. So why do I need to be connected with another 1,999 personal trainers or coaches? Where, And weirdly enough, when you think of it, all of my clients, they're all on LinkedIn. Every one of my clients, you know, anywhere between 35 and 55, well-off, good income, professional, stressed out business people. If you think about it, that's 99% of LinkedIn, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Um, but I never used it as a platform until I had a coach 2017. He said, have you ever thought about using LinkedIn? I went, what, that boring thing that, that networking, like people post for recruitment, you know, the, the, the typical thing that people think LinkedIn, I, I, you know, Instagram was getting big. Facebook has obviously been around a long time. I've been doing a lot of email marketing. YouTube obviously coming into its own. And LinkedIn was just kind of boring, but I've been telling a lot of people, I'm thankfully, most of my friends completely ignore my advice. And I keep telling them, look, it's not the sexiest place. It's not the gram. You're not going to be scrolling. Well, funny enough, you are. But it's not. you're not going to see people diving off yachts in the Bahamas or ab shots. It's, that's not the platform. But if you want to get a great connection with the type of clients that you want, and let's be honest, we although we love our business, we're there to make income. Let's be, let's be real, yeah? Um, this is American real. So let's be real. That's right. We're there to make, we're there to make money. And I don't know another platform that's close to how good LinkedIn is in terms of business to business or business to client or client to business. And you I'm sure you'll agree with me on that one. Oh, right? I totally agree. And what I love what you do is you add value each and every day. So that's what I look for. Um, you know, as a consumer of content on LinkedIn is who are the people who are truly giving me value? You, you give true value like your post this morning. You know, it's a simple thing, but put the fork down. I mean, it does. It's not rocket science. Uh, that's kind of the first step, right? So I appreciate you saying that. But how did you go from two thousand contacts to I think you're over twenty eight thousand today, and, and it, yeah. you have tremendous engagement. So give us a few tips on on how you did that. Absolutely, and it's been through. Uh, it's been through working with three different people at different stages of. You know, I first worked with a, a coach called Tim Drummond who doesn't do a huge amount on LinkedIn, but he said it's a great platform. And he really taught me, as I moved away from doing one-to-one -one personal training, which was great. Now, don't get me wrong, I love that. But you're totally limited by the hours in the day. And I was charging a lot per hour, more than nearly anyone I know in the city. But even if you're doing 30 to 40 hours of personal training a week, which is hard going, because you're on your feet all day long, and typically 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. finish, you know, as I got into my 40s, I thought, is this where I really want to be? I thought, well, I need to look at some type of online business model. Um, worked with this one coach. He first said about LinkedIn. And he gave me a couple of tips. He said, just connect with people. Um, two or three posts every day. Be prolific. Don't, don't give up. Then I worked with another coach. Um, and then recently, I, I, I'll tell everyone, I worked with Shay Robottom. You know Shay? Yes. Yeah, I did her, her video boot camp. And that was the game changer for me. Um, in that's been four months now. Um, I think I've gone up about seven or eight thousand people in the last three or four months. Um, and business has gone through the roof. I won't lie, but it's that cut style of video that is really, 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 really working for me. 
I was just going to ask you, do you, is that what you attribute it to? Is the, the style of video that it is? And can you explain it to people who yeah, haven't I'll, seen your videos, what, it, what that means? We'll explain it. I was using video for about a year and a half before I even heard of Shay. But this is what I would do. I'd think of a topic. I'd have a rough idea of some points I wanted to say. I'd pick up my camera or put it on a tripod and I would film 90 to 120 seconds. But you know, even if you're really good on camera, you're going to get, um, uh, yeah, so... And you're just basically speaking as you would a conversation, which is fine with the cut style that Shay teaches you is you would write that two minute script out, but only deliver one line. So there's no ands, ifs or fluffs. There's no me pausing to think what I'm going to say. I get 90 seconds of one, two, three, four, 20 bullet points. And it's like a perfect script word for word. Yet what, rather than delivering 20 lines of a script, I've delivered... 21 lines one individual lines 20 times makes sense it does so you cut that you get a great editor cut it you can put all the extra banners around it you know the, the borders you can put your links on there and it's just a visual presentation that's hooking people and you know my style it's it's very blunt and a very amusing yes I, I like to make people laugh that's just that's me you know and i've now i've got to the point where i find it very hard to record a video that if I don't, if I don't laugh at my own video, <laughs> don't I don't, I know that sounds, sounds a bit egotistical. I don't mean it like that. I mean, haha, look at me. But if it makes me laugh, yes. I'm really recording those videos for me. Like I, I know the topic I want to talk about. I know this is going to give someone enough information to think there's someone I could work with. Okay. So I'm, I'm just wetting their whistle. Then they want to come work with me. But I also, if I laugh out loud, even though I might not fight, you know, my, joke i probably think my jokes are funnier than they actually are but if it makes me laugh i think will it make everyone else laugh will it i don't not looking to offend people but i want to push the envelope i want to i want to just get people to think you know what that guy's a dick I, that's a good point place to be because if i'm pushing that i'm polarizing people if i'm pushing people that way there's going to be people that love what i do and i know that if you're in too much of the vanilla you never get People need to, you need to repel people to attract the ones you want. Makes sure. sense? It does. Yeah. Let me tell you that uh, you do it very well because that, that's, well, that's thank what you. I, I appreciate from that your videos. Yes. Uh, I would like to know how much time are you spending on, say, one video start to finish? Because uh, Honest, there's a lot honestly, that goes into this. This is a huge commitment. Um, yeah, no, well, I've got a good editor. So the, the longest it will take me is to write the script. And sometimes I can write the script in 10 or 15 minutes. So I would say at the most, Per video, it's thirty-five to forty minutes. Honestly, okay, it's really not much. I'll write the script, um, and I've got a a box where I'll write the the script in word for word. Put my laptop next to me, set the camera up. You can see the ring light behind me. Yep. Camera on, light goes on, and a two-minute video might be six minutes of footage. I'll just deliver the line. If I mess up, I'll say scrap that. Let's do this line. Send it to him. He cuts it and I, I let him go free reign. I've said, look, I like it amusing. Put your own slice on it. Put your own skill set on it. I don't want to be, I've never once corrected him. Not once, not one video. I think it was an odd spelling error. Um, and sometimes I'll correct um, when you guys spell color without the U. <laughs> I'll, I'll sometimes put that in if I'm being a bit. Then other times I'm like, half my clients are American anyway, so I'll, I'll appeal to them. So, um, but it's the most one hour so it's not a lot of work my end 
um, it's just coming up with new ideas. I'm, I was doing a video a day, a video a day, but that was getting too much because trying to get everything else done, look after clients. So now I'm down to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, typically three to four videos a week. Fantastic. And you've yeah. literally changed your business from face to face uh, um, to 100% online. 100% online. Yeah. That, that, it was two years ago last month. So I'll tell you the journey of that. So I'd done 10 years in the city. And for about a year before I left, I started working with that client, that the coach, Tim. I said, I really want to learn the, the model to move. And he said, well, set a date. And I said, well, when I'm ready, I'll, I'll go. I said, he said, no, set the date. And it just so happened. It was Christmas. Um, and the June the 1st, 2018 was exactly 10 years to the week that I'd moved to London. Wow. So I thought there's no better time. So I did it the exact same week that I came to London, 2008, and left the city, 2018. So I told everyone, friends, family, clients, colleagues, 1st of June, I'm leaving. And I went from 40 hours a week to zero in that first month. So talk about being out of the comfort zone. I then had to build it from scratch. But I knew that I had something. I knew what I could deliver would be, uh, could make money for me. Um, and I know that I can get results. So it was scary, but exciting at the same time. You know, when you, you take that leap. Absolutely. And talk about mindset. I mean, you, you really, I'm sure, had to be 100% committed to this before you yeah. actually made that leap. How hard was that? Um, well, I'm, I'm a massive personal development fan. So I, I'd read, I'd recently just read um, a book. I can't think of it by called um, the, the Big Leap or The Leap. I, I'm reading concept books all the time. I always, I'm always pushing. If, if I know when I want to do something and it's a bit scary and it's exciting, it's very safe to stay where you are. But I'm a massive fan. You're a big fan of Tony Robbins? You like Tony yeah, Robbins? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Tony. And he's always saying, look, just make the move and work it out on the way. And I knew, even if I gave this six months, the very worst that would happen is I could go back to the studio with my tail between my legs and say, you know what, it didn't work. And I don't have enough, I don't, I'm not that proud that I wouldn't be able to do that. But I also knew that if I took the leap, I'm a great believer, when you take constant action on a goal, doors and opportunities will happen and take place. You might not always see them, but when you're working towards a path or a goal, this will, oh, this person will appear or that opportunity will happen or something will pop up where, and it just kept going like that. And over the last couple of years, it's just got a step up, step up, step up to the point where now my friends are like, okay, now I can see why you moved it online. You know, so awesome. there we are. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk about that journey. So you left, you left London, you were there for, you said 10, 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. Now you're in Newcastle. Tell us about Newcastle. Not, uh, yeah, not far from about New, Newcastle, about 40 minutes from Newcastle. Um, my wife's from this, this town that we're in. So this is her hometown. We've got a two and a half year old boy. Um, so was, she wanted to come back here. And it was a case of, do we need London? And the reality is, it's very expensive. It's virtually impossible to buy a house in London. Um, well, at least in the area that you want to live. You know, someone said, well, buy a house that you can rent to someone and rent a place where you want to live. And in London, there is the places that most people can afford to buy. You wouldn't want to live there. Wow. You know, we're talking $500,000 for one bedroom flat. 
Wow. One bedroom apartment. That, you know, so, you, but up here, you can get a four bedroom house for 250,000, you know, that, and 10 times the land, you know? Right. So it was a financial decision. Um, and also I was a little bit old. I didn't realize I didn't need London. And I've realized now moving out of London that there is a life outside of London. When you're in London, it's so big and vast and there's 12 million people stuck in that, you know, that area. It, and because it is the big focal hub of the UK, it's sometimes hard to remember that there is life outside of London, you know, and Londoners think they're a little bit better than everyone else as well. So it, it was, it took me a while to get there and I was like, I never thought I'd leave, but now that I'm out there, you know, so that's, that's the journey. And now I'm out in the countryside. I'm sure it's nice that you're only four hours away. So when you need to get to London, yeah. it's not that far. Absolutely. It's similar to where I am in upstate New York. Yeah. So we're about yeah. almost three hours from New York City. But to live there, same thing, cost, everything else. It's, I'd, it's, I'd, I love, do love New York, though. New York's it's got a good buzz about it, hasn't it? It, it? But you're probably you're probably glad to be out of it now, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. There's so much craziness going on in our in our world, uh, especially here in the U.S. So, um, yeah. But while we're, we're talking about London, uh, you and I talked off camera. You're familiar with London Real. That's where I got yes. my start through Brian Rose. He was my mentor with podcasting. I had a chance to go to London to interview him, which happened to be the last interview in his first studio. So that was an honor for me to be able to do that. Um, but tell us about your experience with London Real and then uh, tell us about Dorian Yates, because I know when you yeah, were a young guy, he was one of your yeah. heroes. Well, I think Brian popped up on the radar probably about four or five years ago. Um, and I'd seen a few few of his interviews, liked his style, saw this American guy doing London Real. So that was kind of, and he's an ex-banker, I believe. I think he, was, he works in the city, yeah. And I liked his story. And he, he was exactly the type of clients I had for 10 years, making shitload of money, very stressed, disillusioned. Where, where, what's the next turn? And then he obviously started London Real. Um, but it, it, it was the Dorian Yates that, made me look more at London Real. I'd seen a few and I'd listened to a few podcasts, but nothing major. Um, and obviously, Dorian Yates been seven times Mr. Olympia. Um, or was it five times, six times? I can't think. I should know that. I should know that, being a massive bodybuilding fan. But I first met Dorian in 1990, um, before he even won the first Mr. Olympia. And I was 16 at the time, and he came to the... Um, Back then there was the Weeder, you know, there was Joe and Ben Weeder from, uh, there was the Weeder shop in Norwich in a place called Norwich. And I queued for hours to see this Dorian Yates, who was, you know, the UK's biggest bodybuilder. And it was shocking. Have you seen a professional bodybuilder off season in the flesh, Roger? Have you actually seen one? Uh, I have not. Maybe just like a, a bouncer yeah. who it, it you yeah. know. Well, <laughs> it's... It's absolutely shocking. I 16, I thought, okay, I've seen all the magazines. Bear in mind, this is way before Facebook or social media. There was no, so the only experience or the only time you came across a bodybuilder was in the magazines. So you've got this vision of what this guy is going to be like. And he walked into the shop with a couple of guys, his little entourage with him, you know, and he's five foot ten and a half. And he was in the off season. So he was close to, I think it was 21 stone, which is about 300 pounds. Wow. At five foot ten and a half. Wow. Of muscle. And I'm five foot eight. It's just mind boggling. 
It's, it's literally, you ca- how can a human being be that good? And this is very down-to-earth uh, working-class guy from Birmingham. Uh, so fast forward, between sort of 16 and 20, I wanted to be a bodybuilder, a professional bodybuilder. I realized very quickly once I got about 20, um, one, I didn't have the genetics. Although I could get in good shape, I didn't have the genetics to be huge. And, and two, I wasn't prepared to take a, a ton, lo- a boatload of steroids, which that's not me knocking them. That's just the reality of what these boys have to do. You know, I know a lot of pro bodybuilders, they have to take a lot of performance enhancing drugs. Um, and that's not a criticism, that's just an observation. So, but I've always passionately followed bodybuilding. So when Dorian Yates popped up, because I followed Dorian Yates, when he had that film made about him with the first podcast, went sort of semi-viral, didn't it? Because you've got a bodybuilder who is possibly known in the industry as the most hardcore bodybuilder ever, was all all suddenly taking ayahuasca, um, smoking cannabis, talking about... um, the pineal gland and the, the third dimension. And this is, hang on, this is the guy that is this hardcore bodybuilder. Now he's talking about peace and love and discovering himself. And, you know, so he's gone from complete polar opposites, hardcore, dun- he had a dungeon. His gym in Birmingham was, um, what do they call it? I can't remember. But it was a spit, what they call a spit and sawdust dungeon. But it's all hardcore, hardcore, heavy metal music, bodybuilders, you know, smashing the weights he's gone from there to this spiritual guy doing meditation yoga smoking cannabis going on ayahuasca retreats so it's a massive transformation but he's become very very famous now um and a lot of people will go up to dorian in the street and say hey you're that guy of london real where before it was only bodybuilders that would recognize him because you know bodybuilding is still a very minority sport it's very niche isn't it it's big in america but it's, yeah. it's nothing in the UK. So no one recognized Dorian outside bodybuilding. But for now, for people that are nothing to do with bodybuilding, say you're that bodybuilder guy that went on London Real. It's opened a whole new avenue for, for Dorian. And it's been very good for Brian as well, hasn't it? I was going to say that was actually the, the interview. He, he talked to us about that in, in the course where that, yeah. that put him on the map, but it also put Dorian on the map. So it was such a wonderful marriage. For came together didn't it yeah. was, was perfect but what's also interesting is brian's journey since that interview has been very similar to dorian he's been you know on this same path you know trying to to figure it all out and being open yeah. to the ayahuasca and and the meditation and, and, and the medicine things. the medicine man the medicine yeah, yeah. that's right yeah. so that's that's really interesting and um you know, Gav, I think that's great. That that's awesome. Uh, you, you you know you followed Dorian uh, as a young guy, looked up to him, um, and then all these years later, you you were introduced to him through London Real through a podcast. Yeah. Um, so, but let's get back to your story because that's really why we're here. Um, let's start with mindset, if we can, Gav. Yeah, sure. Um, and I ask this question a lot to a lot of different guests, and I but I always get a different answer, of course, but. How important is mindset in the overall life journey and then specifically to your work? Well, I, I think it's extremely important. I'll just give you a little, I'll back up a little bit. I actually discovered, um, I've always been into books and reading, but like most people, um, they say I don't have enough time to read. Not everyone, but a lot of people say I would love to read a bit more, but I'm busy. And then I 
this is a true story. I picked up a book off the shelf, not this shelf, but a shelf that I had at the time, of an old book from 1997 called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. Do you know that book? I don't. Do you know Robin Sharma? Yes. Okay, you know, so that was his first book. Yeah. Okay. The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And I'd read that in 97. So that would have been in my mid-20s. That's 20 years ago, isn't it? You know? And like a lot of books then, it was quite spiritual. Talked about this guy, this lawyer, bit disillusioned with making all the money, very stressful, sells everything, goes to the Himalayas, trains as a monk, the monk who sold his Ferrari. But when I, in my mid-20s, I picked up that book and tossed it down. This is a true story. Uh, this is about seven years ago, so 2013. I was looking through my bookshelf, and I pulled the book down. And, you know, you've heard the phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So I picked up the book, and it was like the light bulb went on. I reread the book, and I said I, to myself, I literally cannot believe I read this book 20 years ago, because 20 years ago, it meant nothing. I wasn't ready for it. And... I thought that was a really good book. I learned a lot from that. So I went onto YouTube, see what Robin Sharma's up to. And he talks about the 5am club. You know, Robin Sharma, that's big, his yes. big thing. He's got the 5am club book. Um, and I went at that with an absolute vengeance. I, it was two, two videos I watched, how to get up at 5am and what to do in that first hour of the day and write a journal and the two go hand in hand so for three months solid i was up at 5 a.m seven days a week watching videos learning reading taking notes journaling and i've got journal after journal i did that so it's a long-winded way of saying seven years ago i really discovered what i call proper personal development so to bring you back to answer the question how important is mindset it's literally everything i think you can be exactly who you want to be all from reading all those books and learning. Like a book is 10, 20, 30, even 50 years of experience that someone's condensed down into 300 pages and it can massively accelerate your growth or knowledge in any area of life. And it, and it what, costs us 10 bucks in Amazon, doesn't it? Yeah. So mindset is everything. Like I truly believe, it's a good saying, I'm not sure who said it. I think I may have stolen it from Tony. Um, or it might have been Brian Tracy, or it might have even been Wayne Dyer. I think one of those said, um, you don't believe what you see, you see what you believe. Mm, powerful. Really powerful. And, and which basically means we only, because everyone's perception of the same, like you and I could look at something right now, and you could perceive that as threatening. And I could think that's quite amusing. Same incident, same scenario. You only react to it because of your childhood, your upbringing, your perceptions, your thoughts, your beliefs. So I really believe you can train yourself. You can learn to, you can learn to grow in any area. So mindset is everything. You believe that there's no clients on LinkedIn. Um, it's not a great place to be you'll get exactly what you expect. If you believe it's the number one platform to get anything, you, you know, if you believe I'm never going to find the right girl, you know, if that's your perception, guess what? You're never going to find that person because you, every opportunity you see, you're going to find, find evidence to support your belief. So a long winded way of saying 
mindset is everything in everything that we do. And never mind just what I do, but it relates it back to my clients. It's exactly right. If a client comes to me and they want to lose 40 pounds, let's say they're quite overweight. If they've been struggling with their weight all their life, which a lot of my clients have up and down, up and down, never really been able to lose the weight they want and get the health where they want. I always say to them, beginning, do you believe that you can lose 40 pounds? Yeah, 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 I do. No, I no, do you actually believe you can get there? If they say they don't believe they can get there, I can pretty much guarantee they'll never get there because they'll self-sabotage along the way. They'll lose 10 pounds and then something will happen and it will reinforce that subconscious belief that I can never lose 40 pounds. They've given themselves evidence to prove to them why they can never get to where they want to go. If that person comes in and says, I know I can lose 40 pounds. I'm convinced I can do it. And they set goals, that belief, that mindset will help them get there. Of course, they've still got to put the right practices into place, as in eat the right food, do the exercise and all those. But if they don't have the belief they can get there in the first place, they finish before they even start. It's a long-winded way of answering that question. Did it make sense? Yeah. No, it does. But I'd love to ask a follow-up to that. You said when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, mm. which is a, obviously a famous saying, and it's so true. But is there a way? Is there a way to trigger the student if they're not yet ready? So in, in, even in your world. So if, if you think, if that person says, no, I can't, I, I don't think I could lose that 40 pounds. Is there a way to help that person accelerate their mindset so they could get there quicker? Or is it just life experience? Is it just the way it is? Um, it, I think it's due to the people they hang around with, the books they read, and the information they... I'm always telling a lot of my clients to ignore um, the TV and the general media because newspapers and news channels, all these publications are designed to hook us on information. And a lot of it is entirely embellished because it sounds it sounds great it keeps us hooked in doesn't it so as a way of saying that if you hang around with five or six people that let's say let's use the example of trying to lose weight if most of their friends go down the pub and go eating all the time and don't go to the gym if that environment is where they hang out it's very hard to break three from that if You've heard, again, another, another cliched um, phrase, but you can scratch around with the turkeys or you can fly with the eagles. I know it's a cliche, but it's been said a million times before. So I think environment is everything. So to move someone away from that mindset, I always recommend a couple of books in my coaching. is one of the a really good books I recommend. One of two, The Compound Effect, okay. Darren Hardy, or a, a great book called The Slight Edge hmm. by Jeff, Jeff Olson. That's a brilliant book, Roger. I'll check it out. Really? Um, and the slight edge is just telling people that success in anything is really a case of a decision of something that's easy to do or easy not to do. Like we all know we need to go to bed a little bit earlier. It's easy to do it, but it's actually easy to not do it. We all know we probably could do with eating a little bit more fruit, maybe, or more vegetables. But it's easy to do, but it's so easy not to do. And if you think of success in anything, whether it's building business, making money, having a great relationship, losing weight. It's not the, about going from there to a quantum leap. It's a series of tiny successions, small habits, isn't it? Small wins along the way. Easy to do, easy not to do, easy to do, easy not to do. Like you can be really bad with your health for three or four months and it almost looks like nothing's happening. Well, I'm eating rubbish, I'm drinking beer every night. Well, I'm not putting any weight on. You do that for a year, 
boom, you put on 30 pounds. But it's the same when it's coming off. But in the beginning, it doesn't look like much is happening. Three months, oh, you know, okay, six months, in a year's time, they've lost 30 pounds or 60 pounds, you know? And so success in anything is a succession of tiny, small wins dotted along the way. And that's what I try and teach my clients. Awesome, Gav. So if I come to you as a new client, first of all, um, are, and I want to lose 20 pounds, for example, yep. in 12 weeks, what are some of the things you're going to ask me to begin with? Like, what, how do I need to be prepared? What, what would I expect from a session with you? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you my system. Someone, let's say someone drops a, me a message on LinkedIn or any social media challenge, channel or comes through my website. I ask them three, two, two questions, and then a, I get them to book a call. I ask them, okay, Roger, how much, how much do you weigh and how much do you want to lose? Simple as that. Okay. I weigh 240 and I will lose 40 pounds. Okay. A lot of the guys, that's kind of normal. Great, 40 pounds, good goal. Um, why now? As in, what's the real motivation for losing 40 pounds? Because everyone wants to lose weight. If I ask 100 people right now, 99 of them would put their hand up. So all it is is a filtering system. So I ask them, how much do you want to weigh? How much do you want to lose? The next question is, you know, why now? As in, what's the real motivation? If someone doesn't get back to me on that, they, they were never a lead. They, were, they never wanted to do anything. Someone says, um, yeah, I want to lose 40 pounds. I'm, I'm not my health's bad. I want to be a great role model for kids. I want to get back into those 34 inch trousers. I'm currently wearing 38. Um, and it's my 50th coming up and I want to just feel good. There's a guy or a girl lady rather that wants to do something. And I say, it's a simple process. I say, okay, here, Roger, here's what we need to do. We need to book a call. We'll get on there for about 45 minutes. Talk about where you want to get to where you are now. If the coaching's right, I want a hell yeah. If it's not, that's cool too. But at least you'll get some real clarity on where you are and we can take it from there. That's exactly what I say to them. Then they'll either book the call, then they'll come on Zoom and I'll show them what I've got, what I can do, and I'll make the sale there and then on the call. It's a very simple process. Now, each each stage is filtering the people where by the time someone gets on the call, they probably had to go through four stages to get there. So I know that they're fairly keen. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll want to work with me because maybe it's finances or maybe they don't want to work with me um, or whatever. But they've gone through all these different stages to get there um, and then we can take it from there. That's great. What's so interesting about this, Gav, is that I teach a book writing program and I ask the exact same two questions. You know, why do you want to write this book? Yeah. And are you, why do you think you're ready for it now? Um, and so we, we go through a very similar process, uh, and, and writing a book, I think is very similar to, to losing yeah. weight where you have to have that daily consistency oh, you've, and, you've, and, you've and got to really want to write that book, don't you? Exactly. Oh. You have to want to write it. So, um, but the one piece that is really important in our program is accountability. And I know it has to be the same for you. So for someone to have you as their coach, um, um, what does it mean for them to, to have someone like you to say, you know, I'm doing this for myself. I want to lose a 40 pounds, but I also know that I have Gav uh, on the other side that's going to be waiting to hear my progress for the week. Is is that important in a program like this, the accountability? 100%. And the big part of the program, 
and this is probably the strongest part of the program is I do a weekly group Q and A accountability call. We do the same thing. <laughs> so every every I've got two groups: Monday and Tuesday. So let's say you join the program, you've got your diet, you've got your program. I've taught you about nutrition, all the things. Um, over the twelve weeks, there's ten video modules that get sent to them automatically, and that's just to support everything. And that could be on nutrition, training, motivation, self-limiting beliefs, goal setting, how to create a perfect day, just stuff that they need. And then every Monday or Tuesday night, depending on which group they're in, they'll come onto Zoom like we are now. There'll be anywhere between 12 and 15 people in that group. And I tell them that on their call, look, I'm gonna hold you accountable every single week. You're also gonna hold yourself accountable, but 12 other people, when you tell me at the end of that call, I'm gonna to go to the gym three times this week, I'm gonna hit X amount of calories, and I'm gonna be in bed at 10 p.m. every night this week, they'll hold you to that. So you know, but in seven days time, if you turn up to the call and you haven't fulfilled your end of the bargain, you haven't committed to what you said you were going to do, you're going to let yourself down. And that's a big part of the program. They know that they've got that accountability. Without accountability, people don't look. It's hard enough keeping yourself accountable. Never mind, you know, it's hard, isn't it? It is. People slip. People, bad habits creep in. And I say to all my clients, look, the worst this can go it can only go bad for a week. As long as you come back to that call, it can only go horrible for seven days. And then we get back on that call and we can push you back. I say to people, you're going to be captaining the ship. You're on the ship. When you veer left and right, I want to bring you back, back to the center, back on that path. And that's what the, the weekly, the coaching call, the accountability call does. Is, do you do that in your program as well, Roger? Absolutely. We do the exact same thing. We meet on Sunday afternoons. People join the, the call, they talk about the week. You know, their, their, their mission is to write one to two pages a day, every single day. If you do that every single day for 90 yeah. days without getting into heavy e editing, then you will have a manuscript completed within that 90 day program. My book. Yeah, oh, that's your book. I know the process, it's a hard process, isn't it? Yeah. And I know the commitment that's needed. And, you know, a lot of people say they want to write a book, but that's, and a lot of people do, but when they, if they knew what actually went into the process of writing a book, as in a piece of work, that as in, this is my best work, um, that I want to write a book becomes more of a whim than an actual real desire, doesn't it? I'm sure you're, you're the expert in this, you know? No, and, and very much like losing weight, you know, the accomplishment at the end of that oh. program, it's, it's like nothing else to be able to look in the mirror to say, I did it. I did it. I lost the 40 pounds. Yeah. Um, now, you know, and, and same thing with a book. I did it. I, I went through that. I had the discipline to do it. So, but let's talk about your book, Gav. Uh, when did yeah. you write the book? What's the title? And we'll put, we'll put, we'll put the link in the show notes as well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So the title is the GHG method. Um, I wrote it, so I, I published it last March, so March 2019, so it's been out a year and a bit. Um, Congratulations. Started, started, yeah, thank you very much. Started writing it in the October, so October, so I guess six months. Okay. I'd always wanted to write a massive book fan, and I was like most people, so you know what, I'd love to write a book. But I realised it was my ego saying, I want to be an author, you know? Yeah. It was only once I started writing it that I actually said, now I really want to be a fucking author, you know? Um, but, and believe it or not, I actually loved the process because once, when, when I'm in something, when I'm passionate about something, 
And I was really passionate about that because I, I don't know anyone that's written a book. So one, it was 100% ego. I, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to be an author. Two, I know that the coach I was working with, he said, if you get a, a book, it's like a business card on steroids. That stuck in my brain. And um, so once I started it, and once I got into a role, I remember I, I'd say 80% of this was actually written in a week. Um, my wife, she came up to stay um, in the town we are with her parents, with a baby for a week. And I remember sitting in my kitchen, in my dressing gown for pretty much a week. And just, you know, you hear these tales, these authors where they go and seclude. Yes. It wasn't intentionally done like that, but I just got up and said, you know what, I'm going to write from, my goal was to write from 8 a.m. to 12 and then just leave it. But once I really got into it, I, I was sometimes, I would, I would go to the toilet, get a drink, get a coffee, get food. And I was one time, it was 7 p.m. And I was still in my dressing gown and naked under the dressing gown. I remember looking down and I, the meat and two veg are hanging out over the edge of the bench. And I, I think I've been here nearly 12 hours, but I'd written about 15,000 words. I mean, the, this is, there's 42,000 in there, but you know, as, as you know, as anyone will know, to get 42,000, you really need to write probably close to double that maybe before you edit it down, don't you? Or maybe not quite double, maybe 60,000 to, to bring it down to the final. So I would say I got 80% done in that week, but then the back end stuff takes a long time, doesn't it? Oh, and I realized how much of a stickler I was. If I'd seen one error in that book, I didn't think I had such an attention to detail. I had it checked. I had another editor to check it. Then another editor triple checked it. And I think it is error free. But even now, and I'm sure you'll know this as well, I look at it now and I think, oh, I could write that so much better. Is that, is that normal? Oh, that's it's normal, normal, isn't it? That's normal. And I have to tell you that I, first of all, I love, oh. I love to help people write their first book because as you know, there's nothing like the, the process of, of going right. through it and then, you know, getting in that flow state where you have those 12 hour days of writing and, and you're still in your pajamas or whatever. And, yeah. and there's nothing like it, but um, yeah, I think, the fact is it's never ever going to be 100% perfect. I've been working on a novel for seven years and it's, um, it's one of those things where I've gone back and back and back and, but I have to get it done. Like the same yeah. thing I teach, I need to practice. And yeah. you know, that's my goals. I need to get it done in 2020. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it, but the great thing is you could always write another book. And well, here's the thing. Done. Here's the thing. Um, the ego started um tapping away at me i said look write another book because this is isn't this funny about achievement and this is a, a general thing you know i thought that once you had the book that would be enough then i found myself on instagram and there's a guy in his 20s has written three books i'm like why have i not written three you know i'm in my 40s i should have 10 yeah. you know the second one's proving a lot harder than this i'll be honest and it's not that i haven't got anything to say i've got about ten thousand words of the second one but I realized I wasn't writing the second one for the right reasons. Mm. I realized it was because I wanted a second book. It wasn't because I've really got anything That's so to important. really say until I find, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like Absolutely. this has got my, um, from when I'm 15, a little bit of me in Dorian Yates, how I was influenced by Madonna, my yeah. whole journey through, through stripping, my dancing, 
into my fitness career um, and then the whole journey. And it's kind of been done. And I, I went to start and write. I thought, well, hang on. I'm just going to retell a similar story. So until I find something that I feel is worthwhile, me saying, you know what, I'm going to concentrate on this for three months. Um, and the reality is, the reality is I might not write a second book. That is the truth. I mean, I, I again, the ego screaming at me, yeah, you're going to write a second one. Um, but I guess I'll write when it's right. I'll write a second one when it's right for me. That's the reality. And the moment it's not right for me to, um, it's not, and I can't say I haven't got the time. We've all got the time. Everyone's got the time, haven't they? Yeah. Like, even if it's half an hour a day, yeah. everyone has it. And that's what every student that goes through our program says at yeah. first. And it's all about what you said earlier, the 5 a.m. club. You have to get up yeah. early. You have to go to bed early. early and you have yeah. to get up early because that's really yeah. the only time in the day that, that I know of that I've been able to do it myself and, and sure. many, many others have gone through it where there's no interruptions. That's no interruptions. That's your time. But I think, I think you also, you've got to have leverage. Um, and a real burning desire to do it because everyone's got the time. But I, I use this example with my clients. It's an extreme example. And again, I took this from Tony Robbins, you know, leverage is the ultimate leverage. If someone put pointed a gun to your head and said, if you don't go to the gym four days a week, or if you do not write for one hour a day um, for three months solid, if someone actually generally put a gun to someone's head and said, you, the, the outcome is I'll blow your brains out if you don't write. Now, regardless of motivation, regardless of how tired you were, what are the chances that someone would do exactly what they were told? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yep. So in real life, no one's going to point a gun to your head and say, write that book. But I tell people, my clients that want to lose 40 pounds, you have to bloody well find the equivalent leverage to someone doing that. And that usually results on the goal. Why do you want to, you know, I want to write a book. Well, okay, write down 20 reasons why you want to write that book. And then, then very often people find that really hard to do. Yeah. But if someone wants to lose 40 pounds, save their marriage, better sex life, more energy, role model for the kids, look good in clothes, promotion. If they can find 20 reasons why, and then I say attach an emotion to that, and, and the reality, if you flip it back to me, could I find 20 reasons why I want to write a second book? And at the moment, I can't. And that's why I'm not writing the second book. But I probably had 50 reasons why I wanted the first one out. And I, I was going to be an author and I got into it. There was leverage. I had real leverage, as in I would get up at 5 a.m. and I was doing two hours before my son got up. I, I had that, I'm writing this book. You know, I was in it. Until someone finds that leverage, it's always going to be like, yeah, I should write that book. It's never about the time. It's about that leverage, isn't it? Such a great point. It really, really is. It really is. And I love the, this conversation because um, it, it's all, it all relates to everything we do in life. There, there, there has to be leverage for anything we do. The, that yeah. motivation, um, that burning desire to truly stick to something um, to get that outcome that you're, that you're looking 100%. for. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into health and wellness and nutrition and fitness, sure. all the things that you're you're about. Um, and again, that's all tied together. Um, but what? How do you how do you deal with people that are willing to make the sacrifice to lose the weight, to eat right, um, to do those things, but they're not really looking to do the the, the exercise or the fitness. 
Does that present a, an issue? Well, if I'm if I'm really honest, ninety uh, percent of their weight loss results will come from what goes in here. Okay. Hence my video today, and it was a bit flippant, and I'll get I get a lot of pushback from videos like that. Just to give everyone telling everyone that's listening or maybe watching, um, I said the number one um, or fat loss tactic or the most effective exercise to lose to burn body fat would be learning to put your fork down and pushing your plate away. Now, that will piss people off if someone's obese and because it's not obviously the reality that is true, but I will say the mechanics are very, very easy. Losing body fat is eating a little bit less than you burn, move your body. So mechanics are very, very simple. We all know that. The psychology behind that is extremely tough. So you tell a fat person, and I hate saying that, but say tell someone that's overweight, just put your fork down, don't eat the food. It's the truth, but the psychology behind that, the reality of that is very, very hard because food is the only drug that I know of that we actually need. If you think about that, if you look at all every every other drug, alcohol, cigarettes, cocaine, heroin, they all give us a, some type of, they elicit some type of response in the body, but we don't actually need them to function. Well, you can't live without food. So it's like the worst, the most abused drug, but we actually, it's like giving someone who's a heroin addict, just just one shot a day, but not enough to make them an addict. It's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? We need enough food to sustain ourselves, but not enough to make you gain weight. So that psychologically, it's extremely tough. Tell someone that's really overweight, just don't eat the cake. Well, well, thank you, fucking Mr. Captain Obvious. We all know that. So it's teaching them that nutrition's the, the key. So to bring back to my point, the exercise is the icing on the cake, and no pun intended, talking about cake and fat loss in the same sentence. But the ex most people spend most of their time on the exercise and neglect nutrition. I teach, let's do 90% on what goes in your mouth. Beautiful. Ultimately that's, and I'll be honest, most of my clients that are achieving most of their results are probably only working, walking around the block two or three times a week and maybe doing some body weight stuff at home. It's not about the training. It's what goes in here that will determine the fat loss. I'm so glad that you're being honest about this, Gav, because you're the first yeah. person that I ever heard say this, honestly. And I've talked to a lot of people in, in your space. So I appreciate that honesty. Your, what you just explained is my life. I, I eat very well, but I exercise very little. I walk with my yeah. wife and I do a little bit of weights at home and push-ups. And yeah. stuff. That's it. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And it actually makes me feel better. But what sure. about... Well, I, let, let me tell you quickly yeah. this as well, Roger. Um, think about this. Let's say someone went to the gym or went for a really long run. And they maybe burnt four to 500 calories in an hour. And that's pushing it. That's quite a lot of calories. Is it easy to do that? Or is it easier to just not eat 500 calories? The 500 calories is a heartbeat. It's, it's a decision, isn't it? Yes. That's the result. So when we can control this, as opposed to eating whatever and then having to go to the gym five days a week, let's go to the gym twice a week, enough to get the health benefits, because we're talking about the general masses here that I don't want to have ripped six pack and bulging biceps. They want to look good in their clothes or their suit. Focus on nutrition, exercise is a bonus. So sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, there. No, sorry. no, it's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. But I just wanted to go back to your, your point about the cake, because um, I've been there many times. Uh, yeah. What tips do you have for those of us, because I have to put myself in this category, 
that have a hard time at times not eating that cake. As in they, they feel compelled to eat that. Yeah. Food. I mean, there's that just that moment you're at the party, you know, there's, you know, cake being handed out, you yeah. know, nine out of 10 people are saying yes. Um, sure. Well, what, what tips actually, do you have to turn that trigger off? Well, it, I don't think they necessarily have to turn the trigger off. I actually tell my clients to have the cake hmm. and I'll let you into under the, the velvet, the railroad rope behind the velvet rope, so to speak. Losing body fat is simple maths. It's an equation. It's physics. Calories in versus so calories in is all the food and our and drink that we take in. Protein, fats, carbs. Calories out is your metabolism, just general BMR, basal metabolic rate, plus the exercise that you do or walking the dog or playing with the kids. Okay. As long as the expenditure is over the input, you'll lose body fat. So someone can have the cake but they have to be accountable for it, which means they need to track their calories. So I teach my clients to track their calories. So if you have a slice of cake, you put down a slice of cake, 500 calories, 600 calories, whatever it is. Now, would you know exactly how much you've had? No. Do you need to? No. But you need to know that you've had a whopping great amount of calories there. So then we, I tell people to look at their calories in, calories out, like their bank account, but the other way around. Wages in needs to be a little bit more than mortgage bills and expenditure going out. Otherwise you're going to be in debt. It's the other way around. If someone's got 40 pounds to lose, they're in their overdraft and they're probably maxing out on two credit cards as well. <laughs> so we're trying to bring them back to zero. Makes sense. Yeah. Yes. So it's the opposite of the bank account. So we're trying to expenditures got to be higher than the input. And that's the only way, the only mechanism that someone will lose weight. So to answer your question, you can't have cake every night because you're going to blow your diet. But once a week, you can have cake. You'd see my videos where I talk about having pizza at the weekend, every weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of gin. I teach my clients to have a little bit of what they like every single day. But we control the overall numbers. And as long as they're in a calorie deficit, they'll still lose body fat. And that's why I get such great results, but also allow clients to have a life, which means they can go out on a Tuesday night go to someone's party they can enjoy some nice foods because let's face it we're going to eat and drink nice foods whether we like it or not and we like it because we're humans so how about losing body fat and still having a life at the same time for me that's a win-win most people think of dieting as no carbs no fat no alcohol no coffee because sharon in hr said it was a good idea to cut coffee out you know it's not about reducing all the things we love it's about controlling them and offsetting the expenditure so they can still have what they want and still lose body fat. I love it. That's what I try and teach everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you a fan of intermittent fasting? I am. Yeah. For the right people. Yeah. But there's nothing magical about intermittent fasting. It's just a, a way of controlling those, those calories. I mean, there's a few benefits for some people. I just got off a, a call with a, a client today who's, we're going to start a bit of intermittent fasting. He's, He's got 60 pounds to lose. And if he has breakfast, it makes him hungry for the rest of the day. So for someone like him, if he can miss a meal and potentially offset four or 500 calories, as in not consume 500 calories, but if that switches his appetite off, he's likely to eat less over the next 24 hours. However, there's nothing magical in fasting. You know, people think that there's something crazily magical in not eating breakfast. You're just reducing calories. But yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll use that with some clients. I do it myself. I, I actually had lunch at three o'clock today. Uh, didn't eat. 
I had a pizza last night, so I needed to offset the calories. So I didn't need breakfast this morning. But yeah, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. Got, got it. Um, yeah, I've been doing it for about three years now. Yeah. Um, How do, what, what protocol do you do? 16, 8? Do you do it like that? Uh, I, typically, I typically stop uh, no later than 10 p.m. Usually it's 9 p.m. And then um, I'll, I'll have something the next day, the first thing around noon or 1 p.m. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you've, you've I had it works for you. Oh, I feel great. I feel great. And, but you're right. I mean, even, even though I do that, I find myself, if I, if I binge a little bit, say at, at night or have ice cream three days a week, or, you yeah. know, I, I absolutely notice it in my um, sleep habits as well as physically. So uh, you have to be very, very disciplined with, with these things, but still, sure. like you said, being able to enjoy a beer, you know, once in a while or that, Absolutely, yeah. Wow. So, I, so I'm a big fan. You no, know, it's it's a great technique. But there's if you think about every diet on the planet, and there's hundreds, and they're dressed up, and a lot of Hollywood come out with this new routine or this new diet. It's a lot of it's bullshit. But they only work. They all work under one mechanism: con- burning more calories than you consume. So you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose body fat. By definition, if you're not losing body fat, you're not in a calorie deficit. So a lot of nutritionists and dietitians will argue that it's simple maths, like God, universe, whatever you believe in, you know, we didn't make up the rules. We just have to abide by the laws of physics. And yeah. that's one of them. If you, the law of thermogenics, if you consume more than more calories than you burn, you'll gain body fat. If you expend more than you take in, you'll lose body fat. So I, I, that's what I teach and it works. Awesome. I'd like to talk about a little bit of a sensitive topic uh, for sure. people, uh, ourselves included, my wife and I. What about our kids that, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not as active, say, as we used to be. They're, they're in the house a lot. They're on their phones. Um, and if they have the body type where they're, they're you know, susceptible to gaining weight easier, I yeah. think about uh, type 2 diabetes. Um, any, any, do all these same rules, principles apply for kids or is there anything different we should be thinking about and how do we approach it from a psychological standpoint? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's tricky. How, how old are the kids, Roger? Well, uh, our, our, our son is 14 um, yeah. and he's, he's now starting to grow um, and he won't hear this uh, episode uh, right now, but um, you know, I would, I would talk to him about it in front of him, but he's, you know, he's definitely on the heavier side. But as he's growing, he's, he's starting to slim down as well. Yeah. But uh, like most kids his age, he, you know, he likes the pizzas and the, sure. you know, the sweet sure. and the ice cream. And it's tough. It, you've, you, 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 do, you do have to be careful because the psychological aspect is, can be a lot more damaging, particularly with young girls. Um, unfortunately, they're very more, way more susceptible to input from the media when they see supermodels and slim women and pop stars, but also men, also young boys to a certain extent as well, but more so girls. Like, so it's trying to get them to make, you can't ever count calories with them. I would never count calories with a young, uh, a, a non-adult, uh, a child under 18, let's say, although 17, 18, you know, they're young men or young women um, because of the psychological aspect. Because if you get them onto that too soon, it could then become a bit tracking is not where you want to be you know um so for them it's food choices it's, sh- it's showing them that and it's edu- it all comes down to education which is which is your job isn't it yes um and what they'll do they'll copy you um most of the time if they're eating at home 
you know, you very often see if you've got an overweight mother or father, it's rare. I'll go out and on a limb and say that it's rare to see slim kids. If mother and mother, mum and dad are obese, nine times out of ten, the children tend to be going that way. Yes. Um, not entirely impossible, but it's rare to see obese children with slim, fit, healthy, gym-going parents. Would you agree with that? That's fairly true, isn't it? But I yeah. think we're in this we're in this rarity where my wife and I are, are you know, pretty good. My wife's really good. Like she. Yeah gym she's really really fit um but i also think about the type of food we're buying you know for yeah you know we're buying the bagels we're buying the snacks you know and, and sure. maybe that's that's somewhere we could start to well, if, if if think about this if they're eating most of their food at home if that food isn't in the house but it was going to take it you can't do it overnight okay you can't just suddenly go from what you've got in the house now and just remove everything we're not going to have that because it's bad you know because then it also, it's like when you tell kids don't smoke, don't drink, don't take drugs. When you take it away, they're like, they want to do more. So they're going to go and find those choices elsewhere, their friends or in the stores. So it's a, it's a slow burn. I think you, it's education and not have those foods slowly introduce more foods. And obviously for them, it is activity. Um, and the problem with this, all the kids would much rather, I've got a 16 year old, well, she's 16 next month. And she'd rather just sit on her phone for hours and hours and end where you think back in the back in the 80s 70s and 80s you would you went out on your bike and you were down the park and your your mum would call you be back for seven for dinner and that was it wasn't it, it was. you know, <laughs> you're out all day out all day you never came back yeah. you make sure you're home for your for your dinner or your supper or your tea as we would call it in the uk you know um 7 p.m and the summers just seemed to go on forever didn't they the summers just lasted like but now it's a different. So back then we did. The, the, occasionally you'd get one obese kid or one kid that was a bit chubby. But most people back in the 1780s were a lot healthier than they are now. And just down to the foods that are available. The, the supermarkets have got literally hundreds of thousands of choices. You know, and you guys, when I say you guys, Americans, you're the biggest culprits. You go into one of your, like just a serve a gas station, and you've got those fridges from ceiling to with 50 types of energy drinks you know in the uk we, we haven't got any for that europe is just not like that at all you go into a little into a garage there's a there's one fridge with you know two or three drinks there's water coke diet coke maybe some fanta and some milk that's it you know um but i love america for the fact that you have got everything but you've got the best and worst of everything if you if you want to be obese you can do it very very in a, in a hurry if you want to be super healthy you've also got the choices of that we're kind of in the middle it's a tough one um trying to get children to reduce their food i would i would focus and for you and other parents that might listen to this rather than focusing on the food try and make a few better choices but focus on the expenditure where for adults we can focus on the food because we don't want to damage what they how they look at dieting and health particularly with with young girls um they're so susceptible to outside influences like i need to adhere to a particular type of body if you start telling a young 12 or 13 year old girl that she needs to cut back on her food that can it can be a massive wave of anorexia bulimia that happens in a lot of women anyway um it's tricky isn't it it's it a is. subject 
No, look, and look, you know, we're American real. We talk about real, these are real issues, real issues that people are dealing yeah. with. I so appreciate you giving your your input here because it's it's important to me personally and, and I'm sure many of our listeners as well. So thanks for that, Gav. Appreciate it, I appreciate it. And th- yeah. uh, we're, I think we're going to have to do another episode. Because- we are, we've only just got going. I'm, I'm just warming up. <laughs> I'm warming up. I've got, I've, got, I've got a lot to say. I've got a lot to say. Yeah, let's make sure we do another one. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, anything else? I do have a few last questions, but anything else you want to touch on that's important to you right now? Um, no. Uh, you mentioned the book. You're going to put that in the notes. Yes. Um, coaching, you know, men and women anywhere that, you know, want to lose 20 pounds and still have a life. That's kind of me. Um we touched on my podcast. I think you've, you've gone through a good few things, but we need, we need a part B. There's a part Absolutely. B coming up for if, sure. If, yeah. If people do want to reach a Gav, what's the best way to reach out? The best place is either LinkedIn, Gav Gillibrand, or come direct to my website, gavgillibrand.com and everything on there, the link to everything, podcast, book, uh, YouTube, everything's at gavgillibrand.com. That's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Sure. You mentioned that you love to read. Can you give us a couple of your favorite books that, that you've read that we could also put in the show notes for people? It's funny because I actually did a video on this a couple of months ago. It, not necessarily the best three, but there were three very different ones. So one, you read this one, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Awesome. Do you know, do you know him? Yes, absolutely. Amazing, amazing book. Um, this is one of my favorite books. A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Absolutely. I've read that four times. Um, Mind-blowing for anyone listening to that. Get that book. It will change your life. And this one is just purely fictional. Um, the Night Manager by John le Carre. Okay. And I've, I've read it twice, but I've listened to it on Audible four times. Um, the, the Command of the English Language is so good. It's the, it's, it's the type of book you read and you think, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way the English guy narrates it and I'm, I'm laughing. It's funny. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant story. Um, and it was actually turned into a BBC series. So this was written in 92 by John le Carre and it, it was a BBC series made about three years ago. Uh, but that's, um, Hugh Laurie. That was, uh, famous for, um, house wasn't he in America, yes. Yes, that's- which wasn't big over here. I mean, it was a big, massive series in America, but right. he's one of our best actors. So that's fiction, um, I guess, personal development, and then maybe a bit of motivational. So there's three that I recommend. Thank you, Gav. That's awesome. If you were to take out your cell phone right now and call the 20-year-old Gav, what advice would you give him? Ooh, 20-year-old Gav. This is great because I do the same question on my podcast. Did you know that? I did. <laughs> Oh, that's but I say fifteen-year-old self. Right. You've caught me out because I've twenty. A few people have said twenty-year-old self. Okay, I've got the first piece of advice. Um, don't be in such a hurry, hmm. and I'll tell you why. I at 20, exactly twenty. I had a pivotal moment. I'd gone to university at nineteen to do sports and exercise science. Um, in my second year at uni, I actually auditioned for the role of Chino in West Side Story on on the theatre. And I got the part um, and I had the opportunity to stop my sports science degree and start again in the first year at university with performance arts and train to become an actor. And that's what my heart was telling me. 
And my brain told me, no, you're going to be a year behind. You'd already taken a year out before you went to uni. Um, it's not going to happen. You, rugby players, football players, sportsmen do not suddenly start treading the boards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what, my piece of advice would be follow, the, follow your heart and realise that even if I'd taken 10 years out, it wouldn't have made any difference if I was truly doing what I wanted to do. So um, that would be the first thing. Was there three pieces or was it just one? No, just one. Just the one. That would be it. I said, realize you've got time um, and always follow your heart. Okay, wonderful. Now, I know you're a big sports fan. What's your favorite team in any sport? Favorite team in any sport? Well, for years, I kind of left sports alone and went into sort of just training and the bodybuilding, but I won't go down that route. Um, I was a massive fan of football, not what you would call soccer. We call it football. I'll, I'll, I'll let you off, in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm more of a fan of individuals. I tell you, my individual fo- sports heroes. Great. I'm a massive. I'm a massive fan of Roger Federer. I think. Oh, I love him too. Yeah, I just, I just love him as a person. You know, he's 37 years old, probably the Warrior. best tennis player. Just sublime. Looks like he's not playing tennis yet. Just, just admire him, respect him. Um, Roger, I like. Who do I also like? I'm a big fan of Usain Bolt, just for what he's done. Um, so I, I think more individuals. I resonate more with individuals than teams. Like, I'm not massively into teams. I, I like. I'd like to say England football team, but we're we're rubbish. So I wouldn't say that. I'm a fan because I'm English, but um, we're not that great. Okay. Um, well- my wife's family lives in, in Rome, so I've been uh, adopted uh, 26, 27 years ago, AS Roma. So that's, that's my team. Ah, that's your team. Yeah, brilliant. Is she, is she Italian, is she? Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Can you speak Italian? No, but she's, that's her first language. So luckily when we go... You should be, you should be fluent now. <laughs> oh, yeah. After 25 years, you would think, right? But What about... The, so the kids are. Tell me the kids no, are fluent. No, 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 no. No, you've missed a trick there, my friend. No. What's gone on? Uh, yeah. You missed. You've missed. Why did? Why did she not teach some other tongue to them? Yeah, it's. You know, it's. It's. I don't know. I don't know. It's. It's tough. It's. Uh, I shouldn't say that because it's Just like, one of those things. Talking about. You could, you want to do something? You could, you, you could have done it. Absolutely. You know, you could have done it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. Oh well. But they definitely yeah, yeah. know a lot about the culture, and they know a ton of words. I mean, they. They, you know, because it's spoken still at her at her yeah. mom's house on a regular. A lot of Italians on the East Coast, isn't there? Oh yes, a lot of Italians. All that that New York, Boston, Philly. It's all the policemen, the firemen. That yes. that. But I've been I, watching too many mafia films. I tell you though, what I what I've really come to appreciate is the Italian culture itself, because we've been fortunate enough to to go over there several times, because that's where her all of yeah. her first cousins and aunts and uncles are there, and being able to actually stay there and live with them you know for weeks at a time it's just it's a remarkable culture and yeah they're stylish aren't they from every culture not to mention the food oh my gosh gab just incredible incredible the food's incredible yeah i'm a big fan of it i've been to rome and um florence i love florence yeah we love florence as well beautiful place place, cc is the place that you if you haven't been there, you have to go there. CC, yeah. I had my epiphany for my novel, and that, that's what will be coming out 
uh, really soon. So uh, a lot of it so takes place when you from Assisi and Florence. Those are the three locations. When are you going to When are you going to finish the novel by? Or uh, when's it coming out? Well, like as you know, I mean the manuscript uh, is done, but as you know, you know that whole. Now I'm in that process of tightening up, and yeah. hopefully my goal is to get it done this year. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So last question before I let you go, yes. Kevin, I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome. My pleasure. But um, at the end of the day, you still have a ton of life to live and a lot of people to help. What do you want your legacy to be? What kind of mark do you want to leave on this earth? I want to leave a legacy of, you know what? I helped as many people as I possibly can learn about nutrition, lose weight and have the life they want but also have some fun in the process. And here's the thing, I, I'm very serious about life, but I don't take life very seriously. That's my, that's my line, that's no one else's. Um, I'm constantly joking, taking the piss, having fun. I don't take things very ser too seriously, as in I'll make fun of things and lighthearted, but at the same time, I'm very serious about helping people get the life they want. Um, and that's me all over. Like, it's very, I find it, it's, it's, it's very hard to offend me. And I take great pleasure in saying that. I just don't get offended because I'm, you know what? I think life's too short. Like, I we've no idea what could happen tomorrow. I could literally walk out into a, in front of a bus tomorrow. I don't think I don't take. I'm very serious about life, but I don't take life too seriously. That's my our final final comment. Love that, Gav. Well, it's really refreshing to hear, and it's it's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Welcome to the American Real Family. I'm so happy we were able to do this, and you and I are building a friendship here for life. So thank you so much. No, I appreciate that, Roger. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.